Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, and it's always a privilege to be able to bring you God's word. And today I was asked to preach and teach on the topic of money in the book of Proverbs. And I feel with the topic so vast like this, I need to start with a couple disclaimers. One being that money is really a taboo subject, isn't it? Even within the church and among Christians, that's not a subject we regularly talk about. And there's a few reasons why that is. Some tell evangelists and charlatans and people who manipulate and abuse their spiritual authority to extort people from money. One of the worst impressions people have of the church is they're always asking for money for their own selfish gain. Another reason why we tend to think this is a taboo topic would be the prosperity gospel, which believes that financial blessing and physical well-being is always the will of God. And that's not true. We can look at the life of the Apostle Paul and even the life of Jesus Christ himself to know that that's not true. So when we read passages that promise prosperity, we tend to distance ourselves from it to distance ourselves from the prosperity gospel. Finally, and I think we tend to think of money as a private issue, a private issue. Hey, nobody tells me what to do with my money. I get to spend my money how I think is right. But understand that that attitude is more American than it is biblical. As a result, the church and Christians in general tend to be gun-shy when broaching this topic of money. How many accountability groups have you ever been a part of that ever asked you, hey, how are you handling your money? Are you doing it well to the, and unto the glory of God? Uh, probably very little of you, if, at, if any at all. You talk about all the vices you could think of a person could get into and relational struggles within a marriage or between parents and children, but never on how you handle money. So I think we could acknowledge there has been perversion. There has been abuses under the guise of Christianity. What we must not do, however, is to stay silent on the topic. When we don't talk about money, we don't know how to talk about money. So the best way to combat falsehood is to confront it with truth. The best way to fight against perversion is to teach what is right and what is good. Second disclaimer I think I need to make is I'm not going to say everything about everything. There's no way I'm trying to be comprehensive this morning. There's so much to talk about. There's going to be a lot of stuff left out. And I would encourage you afterwards to take what's being taught today back to your grace groups, your small groups, your friends and family, and try to flesh out these principles we'll be talking about and how it would look in your personal lives. No doubt, after I'm done, you're going to have several questions. Say, hey, Junior, but what about, and insert your question. And if you still have questions after talking with your grace group, contact the church office and make an appointment with Kenny Clark, and he will answer all <laughs> your questions. <laughs> so today, I want to just lay down some basic biblical principles, foundational truths and attitudes and actions concerning money and possessions. And the reason is because our attitude and action towards money and possession reveals our spiritual condition. It reveals what we think of the character of God. And how we handle our economic life is a window into our soul, and the gospel needs to touch every aspect of our lives including how we manage money. So first foundational truth, 
proverb speaks about money in positive ways. God blesses the righteous with wealth. And if God created it, it is good. And one way he speaks about it positively is that wealth is a sign of God's blessing. God does, in fact, bless people with wealth. Proverbs 8.18 says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. A second way Proverbs talks about wealth in a positive way is that wealth could be a sign of wise living. See, implementing the implementation of wisdom with your wealth can put you on good financial ground. The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. Proverbs 14, 24. See, wealth is a gift to us from God, and it's a reflection of God's goodness towards us. But just like any gift, it could be twisted, it could be misused, and it it could become idolatrous. So to avoid money becoming an idol in our lives, we must first recognize its limitations. Yes, it's a blessing and a gift from God, but there's limitations, much like all of his gifts. The first limitation is that it won't deliver you from the wrath of God. So no matter how much you have in your bank account or how robust your portfolio might look, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 11.4. Not only will it not save you from the wrath of God, it's temporary. It's temporary. For riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? Proverbs 27.24. So it won't deliver you from wrath. It's temporary. So then we don't put our ultimate trust in it. Knowing that the true source of life is a right relationship with God, a right standing with God. So whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. In addition to recognizing the limitations of wealth, we need to prioritize fearing God above everything. For it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs 1, 7. So let's begin with reverence. God, knowing that this topic matters, that this subject matters, how we handle our money matters to God and it should matter to us. Start with fearing the Lord and knowing that that's more important than money itself. For better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it, Proverbs 15, 16. And it's the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Proverbs 22.4. Again, let's approach this topic with some reverence. We need to have a balanced view of money, a holistic view of money, knowing that money itself is not evil, for it's the love of money is rooted in all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy 6.10. So it's the love of money That's the root of all evil. Not money itself. It's the acquisition of money and wealth and the prestige and power that comes with it that we care and love more than loving God himself. That's when it's evil. Poor people can love money. Money is amoral, meaning it doesn't care what you do with it 
much like a brick doesn't care what you do with it. You could use it to break a window or you could take a pile of it and build a hospital. The brick doesn't care. It's amoral. Money doesn't care what you do with it. It's amoral. We're the agency, the moral agency deciding and dictating what needs to be done with what God has given us. So again, let me give you three basic principles today on what we should do. And first one is sacrifice. Two is save. Three is spend. So one, sacrifice, sacrificial giving. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You know, interestingly, this ver- just a few verses before that, and this is verse uh, 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And one of the ways you acknowledge him is giving of your first fruits. First, not what's left over. And this command to trust God with all your heart means that the total person is committed to God's care. It's an exhortation to the reader to demonstrate gratitude toward and confidence in God rather than wealth. And that we trust the character of God and believe his word and his promises when he says he will never leave us or forsake us. And one of the ways we display that gratitude and confidence in God is by giving generously. Not out of guilt, not out of compulsion, but cheerfully and with liberty and out of love because he first loved us. In Romans 8.23, it reads, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. And what is this first fruits of the Spirit, which we already receive if you're a Christian? This first fruits of the Spirit is our first installment of salvation. It's a pledge that guarantees that in the end of the age, we will be redeemed, and we eagerly wait for that. In Ephesians 1, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regarding to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. And we acknowledge that sealing and that indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us every time we give of our first fruits. And we are generous because God was first generous to us so we could be generous to others. But in this ironic twist of God's economy... Generous giving often leads to further wealth and spiritual benefits. But poverty awaits the stingy. And that's just how it works sometimes in God's economy. In Proverbs 28, 22, it says, A stingy man hastens after wealth, but does not know that poverty will come upon him. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25. Now, I spend a lot of time on my personal budget. It's just a frame of life 
You know, it's just a part of what I do, just almost like brushing my teeth. And uh, I've spent years creating this decision-making paradigm for income and finances. And when income comes in, it brings great clarity. I know exactly what to do with it. There's no anxiety to it. I give every dollar an assignment. I put it to work. And it alleviates a lot of stress. And there's a scheduled giving. As soon as income comes in, it goes out to the local church. That's an easy decision. Spent years doing that. But there has been these occasions, these unscheduled opportunities that spontaneously come up based on need that arises. And my wife and I, we need to be prayerful when those needs come up because sometimes giving isn't always helpful. But when these opportunities come up to give in addition to what we're first giving, we think about it. And when we move forward with it, whether it's a missionary or a Christian organization or a specific need within the church or family or an individual, when we do it, we do it in faith. And I can't tell you the nuts and bolts how it works out, but the balance sheet just stays balanced for some reason. It shouldn't. Mathematically, it shouldn't. I scratch my head all the time. But I really believe exercising faith in God, God blesses. God blesses you. And every time you exercise that faith and you see that God blesses you, your faith grows stronger and more confident in him, which enhances your ability to even give more generously. So when we don't give, is it because we love money and the security it provides or that, that we just don't want to give up certain things or that we don't want to s- sacrifice certain things? We feel entitled to certain things. We do want to eat out every day. We should get the latest and greatest device. If you do that and neglect giving, understand those are heart issues. At its core, it's a refusal to honor God with our first fruits, and it reflects what we think of God that he won't ultimately bless us if we don't bless ourselves. But understand that stinginess stifles flourishing. Stinginess stifles flourishing. See, a part of being created in the image of God is that we have moral agency. And by agency, I mean the exercise of a person's choice insofar that they're capable to make things happen in the world, to affect or prevent changes within the world in which we live. And generosity by definition, represents a form of agency exercise. That is, the purposeful interventions of giving intended to convey valuable things to others in order to enhance their good. And we, when we exercise this agency for change, we're reflecting God's generosity and God's compassion, and we flourish as human beings as a result, not only being created in his image, but as redeemed creatures in his image. Now contrast that with the thought of, you know what, I can't really make a difference in this world. What are my few dollars really going to matter? See, there's no hope or purpose in that sentiment. See, people who live in this perceived world of scarcity and deficiency and insecurity, they tend to hoard things, which results in other ways that they're impoverished, namely being anxious, feeling vulnerable, and ultimately dissatisfied but God is rich in mercy and being redeemed image bearers of God it gives us purpose and meaning and direction and we believe that God is rich and that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills 
So our decisions matter. Our giving matters. And giving impacts eternity. Yes, earthly riches are temporary, but it can be powerful because it could steer eternity. It could influence eternity. And one example is we just recently adopted a two-year-old boy from India. And as most of you know, adoption can be expensive. And yes, my wife and I, we saved and we planned and we paid a portion of it. But through the generosity of other people, through the scholarship funded by the generosity of other people, we didn't bear that financial burden alone. And as a result, we were able to bring, a home, bring home a child and give him a family. And as a result, his life has changed, our life has changed, and maybe someday his eternal destination will change. So yes, our giving influences eternity, economic life, is eternal life. And when we give sacrificially, what it also does, it pushes out greed and selfishness within our own hearts and deepens our ability to love others well in specific and meaningful ways. Giving, it gives, as we give, it fights against consumerism and desire for self-indulgence because we start to find contentment in things that really matter. But that's not the only thing we do with money. We could give everything away and feel spiritual and godly, but if that causes harm for yourself and your family, well, then that's foolish. Again, let's have a balanced view, a holistic view on wealth, money, and possessions. Paul tells Timothy, hey, provide for your household, and if you don't, you have denied the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. I don't know a worse thing you could tell a Christian, that you've denied the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. I would think that would be attached to some heinous sin or crime. But no, Paul says, if you don't provide for your household, that's you. So the Bible doesn't say just to simply give everything away. It also says save and provide, which is our second point. Save. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5 says, he who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. It could be wise to save. It could... It could provide protection. Proverbs 10, 15 says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. Understand that things break. Be prepared. Cars break down. Water heaters break down. Roofs need to be replaced. It's baffling how many people, when that happens, like, oh, my goodness, you mean these things don't last forever? You know, I mean, no, they don't. Um, aside here, when it says rich man... In, in, in Proverbs, uh, we, we tend to think of our immediate context, and, uh, and I know my mind immediately goes to Bill Gates or Oprah Winfrey or LeBron James. Uh, but understand, global standards, no, middle America, which is most of us, no, we are rich. We're in this category, so don't think that doesn't apply to you. Think of technology as wealth. Technology. You have a device in your pocket right now that has access to a thousand servants. You could go to any library, have them fetch any piece of information. You have access to a phone, library, camera, video. Oh, we are wealthy. Are you managing your servants well? Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. More on this verse later. 
You know, one biblical example of when it's wise to save is Genesis 41 when Joseph advised Pharaoh, hey, look, 14 years, the first seven years, you're going to have a robust economy. The next seven, though, afterwards, they're going to be years of famine. So we need to save and plan accordingly. And they implemented that plan. And as a result, his family was saved. Not only his family, but Israel was saved. And subsequently, the Messianic line was saved through prudent saving. So saving itself isn't always bad. It's the reasons why you save. And when saving is wrong is when we're motivated by selfishness, greed, fear, hoarding without purpose, using it for self-indulgence, which leads to a lack of giving, a lack of paying debt, a lack of planning for the future, a lack of or neglecting the needs of others. So two things that helps with saving well. Two points. First is contentment. Second is diligence. Saving well requires contentment and diligence. Proverbs 13, 7 says, one pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. Uh, I just find this verse funny. Because um, I think it's, it could be a person exercising prudence and contentment. And there's great freedom with not caring about whatever your financial appearance might be. You know, I, have a, I drive a 24-year-old uh, Ford Explorer. April will be 24 years. And I get ridiculed by friends and family. But, you know, that's fine. Like, I, I laugh along with them. It is a piece of junk. There's no, there's no denying that. You know, I work at a school, and uh, our entire staff parks on the campus as we prepare the class before the kids come in. And for years, I had the second worst car of the staff. I was bummed by that. I was like, man, only second place? But finally, the person with the worst car retired. So now I have the worst car of our staff. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, there's like a 100 things wrong with it, you know, driving over a, a bumpy road and hearing all the rattling. And I'm like, man, is this going to make it at the end of the road? Um, but but there's, there's something free uh, from not caring about those things. Actually finding joy in driving that piece of trash. I love it, you know. And... With, with godliness and contentment, there's great gain. And when you're free from the bondage of materialism and superficiality, like you're fine. You're fine just not getting the latest and greatest. You're content, and there's joy in that. So contentment. Second, diligence. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. Proverbs 14, 23, the plan of the diligent leads surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 21, 5. And again, Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gained, uh, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Let me give you an example of this. Say a 21-year-old gets his first job and immediately opens a Roth IRA and commits to an average of $100 a month, which is $1,200 a year. Let's say he gets a modest average return of 10% in his investment. By age 65, without even raising his contribution, he will end up with $1.6 million. Now, if you give that $1.6 million immediately to a 21-year-old, he might ruin his life. I know I would have ruined my life. Uh, 21, you give me that kind of money. Um, but there is something uh, to be said about one who gains by saving little by little. 
We see it all the time. That's why we tend not to talk about wealth so much, because we see the temptation that it brings. There is danger in wealth. It can be a blessing and a temptation. The feelings of self-sufficiency, independence, arrogance, entitlement, feeling that we don't need the Lord. We see it in young professional athletes and lottery winners. You know, there was this show when I was a teenager that, that followed uh, what lottery winners did with their winnings. And, and this one guy obviously bought this big house and had this entire room filled with samurai swords and stuffed armadillos. And I remember as a teenager, even, even watching this, as a teenager, I said, man, you are a grown man buying samurai swords and stuffed armadillos. I had no idea how many different types of stuffed armadillos you could have. So yes, just because you're foolish with money, if somebody plopped down with a big bag of cash doesn't magically make you wise, you're, you're just going to amplify your foolishness, if anything. So yes, there's this tension that we must hold between giving and saving, but there is something when we gather little by little, a lifetime spent of self-discipline, planning, exercising, delayed gratification, gathering little by little, that builds within that person the character to be able to handle and the responsibility of wealth well. And when the acquisition of wealth happens, we must spend it. Spend it. The final point, spend and spend wisely. And you need wisdom for this. And Proverbs 8.18 says, With me, wisdom, are riches, honor, enduring wealth, and prosperity. See, in Proverbs 31, the prosperous woman, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the staff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out to the needy. Proverbs 31.18-20. through 20. See, this prosperous woman, she does all of it. She knows profitability. She's wise. She's prepared that her lamp doesn't go out at night. She works and she doesn't neglect the poor or the needy. But spending unwisely or foolish behavior can lead to poverty. Lazy hand makes for poverty, but diligent hands brings wealth. Proverbs 10.4. Now, there are other ways that people could be in poverty, namely through injustice or oppression or thievery or finding themselves in difficult cir circumstances and situations, no fault of their own. That's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about is being unprepared and failing to take up financial, personal responsibility to manage our money well. That we don't keep up social appearances or using our wealth just for escape me mechanisms and living beyond our means. So whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs 21, 17. That doesn't mean we can't have nice things. That doesn't mean we can't go on vacation and create wonderful memories with our family. But never at the expense of honoring the Lord. Never doing it unwisely or recklessly. See, being unprepared is failing to take up the financial responsibility, failing to establish a budget and following a budget, failing to plan for the future. And in contrast, being prepared, it takes intentionality. The same way it takes intentionality to pursue wisdom. You need to seek it, find it like treasure. Wisdom is out there and it calls out, but we need to seek it. So don't be lazy. 
you know, uh, the saying goes that more is caught than it is taught. More is seen. We catch what we see a lot better sometimes than what is taught. You know, and I wanted to end uh, with an example of, of a person who hit all these three principles out of the park, and it, it was my father-in-law, Phil Davis. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a wonderful and godly man. Most of you knew him. You know, he budgeted and he planned and he faithfully gave to the church. You know, when Katie and I first got married, uh, um, he let us use his rental property and he gave us rent at well below market value so that we could save money in order to put a down payment on, a, on our own house. And we were able to do that after a year. And the house that we're living in right now has four of his grandchildren in it. You know, and he... And he gave at every opportunity. He took people out to, to lunch and dinner. He gave to the benevolence fund. I don't know how many times we have a benevolence fund after communion service and the basket comes around and he just emptied his wallet of his cash. He wasn't even counting it. And then he had the audacity to invite everybody out to dinner afterwards, probably to Red Robin. You know, and I don't even like Red Robin, but I'll eat mediocre food for free. All right. <laughs> No problem. If you're paying, I'm there. But see, it was more than just going out to Red Robin. See, he made people feel love, whether they were just visitors or longtime members. And as a result of those many times of going out and eat, relationships were formed. Bonds were built. Lifelong relationships and friendships were made. And he did all this not neglecting saving for retirement. And he planned his day of retirement, in order to maximize his benefits so that he would be able to continue to give when he stopped working. And he made provisions in case of an unexpected death that his wife would still be provided for. So not only was her, his wife not a financial burden on, on the family or the church, but she now can continue to generously give and continue the Davis legacy. You know, one, one of the things after he was killed, we're cleaning up his stuff, and uh, we came across a couple of investment books, and we're piecing together some conversations we've had and conversations he's had with coworkers, and he was getting into the stock market, wanted to grow his wealth, and realizing that, you know, he didn't need the money, and he knew it, but he wanted to learn how to grow the money because he wanted to leave something for the kids. And he wanted to help his oldest son, PJ, get into a house. Yes, he was a godly man and a good man. And a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Proverbs 13, 22. Do we realize Jesus will entrust the faithful in the future? So if we first seek the kingdom of, it, of God and his righteousness, everything will be added on. And on that day, that day when we see him face to face, we will hear the words, the words that Phil Davis has already heard. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You were a faithful. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. 
enter the joy of your master. See, the gospel needs to touch every aspect of our lives. It needs to permeate, permeate every part of our being because Jesus, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What does it mean that Christ is preeminent? It means that he is first First, before all things. And does the way we view money and possessions reveal that Christ is first, that Christ is preeminent? Does our, does our checkbook reflect the surpassing worth that is Christ Jesus? Does our lives show that? Do we see and want to steer eternity? Because to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may be presented mature in Christ. And is the area of how we handle our money show that we are mature in Christ, is the way we think about money and wealth and possessions show that we are mature in Christ. So a biblical view of money means being committed to honoring God first and that Christ is preeminent in our hearts and that we use wisdom and righteousness and the fear of God as the foundation of our decision-making paradigm knowing that money is important to him and that it's important to us and that enables us to apply these principles of sacrificial giving, of saving and spending wisely well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are, your word and your character. And we ask that we learn all the more how to influence eternity and glorify your name through whatever it is that you give us monetarily. In Jesus' name, amen.